What is up? I'm Miguel Antonio, and you are listening to the Live and Create podcast. It's where I interview artists and entrepreneurs about what it means to live a great life and create great things. And before we jump into today's podcast, I'd love for you to check out my band, Run With It. It's at Run With It Band, at Run With It Band, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, all the places you follow people at. You can also check us out at runwithitband.net. That's runwithitband.net. And on today's podcast, we have Josh Gleave. Originally from Kansas City, Joshua Gleave is a Nashville-based songwriter, producer, and podcaster. He spends his work days writing songs for artists like Chris Young, the Swan Brothers, and Alexandra Kay, as well as developing and producing newer artists like Timmy Brown, Alexis Wilkins, and Stepsons. In his free time, he collects sneakers, watches, and plays an absurd amount of basketball, and he cooks. In today's episode, Josh shares his 20-year trajectory in the music industry and some of the valuable skills he's learned along the way. For the songwriters out there, we get into the nuts and bolts of songwriting, co-writing, and about his focus on writing in reverse. I really love that concept. Uh, We also explore the philosophical end of what drives an artist and songwriter and what we can learn from those discoveries. And you'll notice at the end of the podcast, it sounds like the podcast is over, um, where I was going to cut it off, and then we just kept talking, uh, just kind of catching up and and going through some different ideas, but the ideas uh, I felt would be relevant enough uh, to you guys as the audience, so I just left that whole section in. So when you think it's about to end, it doesn't, and we keep going. There's some really great stuff uh, in there as well. So enjoy. It's a great episode. The Live and Create Podcast. Yeah, absolutely. dude, Dude, you have had... Your story is, you know, just, I think, a, a really cool, powerful story. Uh, you, you've had this crazy career of, of just longevity in the same industry, but you've gone down so many different paths to find yourself here, right? So, yeah. like, even, even the whole Creed thing, you know, your, your time in, <laughs> in Creed. Uh, but where I wanted to start is, you know, you started as a player, is my understanding, right? Yeah. And... So can you kind of break down that journey for you as you, you're touring with bands, you're writing, you're performing, and then you start whittling it down from production all the way to where you find yourself now uh, doing primarily writing, even though you are producing, developing as well. Uh, could you just take us down that journey, take us down that path of what that looked like for you? Sure, sure. So, so we'll fast forward in the music career at least to age 20. So at 20, okay. I'm 37 now. I just turned 37. So this is, I'm in like 20 years of doing this full time. I graduated high school early at 17. So I just hit the 20 year mark of literally doing this as a career, which is, I, I get why I'm exhausted all the time. I totally, <laughs> I totally understand. You watch like old eighties movies and you're like, oh, he's been on the force for 20 years. He's about to retire. <laughs> you're totally you're always walking it. around like oh god yeah i'm just like now. jaded vet and i'm not even 40 um so if we we rewind back to 20 um my band from high school had broken up i had made the decision to shift from being a band guy which is that's a tough beat it's tough to wrangle as you know it's tough to wrangle schedules and personalities yeah it's like being married to five to six if not eight people depending on who's all involved and and yeah none of the better and mostly dudes that are like aggressive and (laughs) will push back even harder you know what i mean so it's like okay and half of them are melodramatic and yeah it's just (laughs) 
and then there's always one guy that's like yeah whatever just just let me know i'll show up <laughs> um so i i'm 20 the band stuff is kind of over i kind of make the decision that i am still really talented at playing music but i should probably just go make money as a side guy playing bass for a bunch of artists so first things out of the gate um i start playing bass for vineyard music usa which is a, a christian it's the christian music label arm of the vineyard church movement uh in america and so they would put on these concerts all over the united states and they'd fly me out to play bass and that kind of and they were a big my... deal back in that era man like vineyard music was everywhere yeah yeah this is like this is the era just after so in the 90s we're like this is the air I breathe and all those songs that's been your music. And then we're, we're getting, and I don't know if that's copyright. We're gonna have to mute that later, but, um, oh, damn, but we fast forward. Yeah. Like the, the mid two thousands, like vineyard was kind of setting the tone for what, um, worship music, worship events kind of looked like and sounded like and felt like, um, so I was doing a bunch of those and that turned into Vineyard Music had an artist named Jeremy Riddle that started to blow up. He had a song called Sweetly Broken that was kind of taking off on radio and I ended up playing what I thought was going to be one show with him turned into three years of touring with him. <laughs> and that really, it, it sort of just like, I understood that I was able to do this as a career, that I had... I had the the question answered, are you good enough, was answered pretty young for me. That's awesome. I wasn't chasing that thing. It was more, how do I sustain this? How do I stay ahead of it? Am I positioning myself in the correct ways to like do this forever and not just in my 20s? Uh, that That gig turned into moving to Nashville in 2011 that turned into starting to play with some country artists that um was an eye-opening season for me from 11 to 12 <clears throat> I uh year 11 and 12 of the career yeah. or no 2011 2011 I, to I, 2012. I was just trying yeah. to follow up make sure yeah 2011 <laughs> to 2012 so like all the all the aughts or the 2000s I'm playing bass doing a lot of Christian music all over the place 2011 I moved to Nashville um I start playing in country music and I start to see the volatility of the industry on the player side um, in what way was it like you were seeing people get cut like immediately or I what was there it? is you there is no such thing as loyalty there is no such thing as security there is no such thing as a reality you can sink your teeth into. So I was, hmm. I am an, a world-class bass player. Like that's, I'm not, that's not an egotistical thing. Like I just. No, you are I, a badass bass player, bro. Yeah. Badass. <laughs> and I was getting fired from gigs because they just, I don't know, felt like the wind shifted and wanted to go a different direction. Hmm. And I sat there and I was like, man, this is not worth putting all of my effort and attention into um because you can lose a gig tomorrow for no reason yeah. for nothing that you did other than someone's friend's cousin like moved to town it's like oh let's use him instead because 
he's cheaper or he's has weed. pink hair or yeah whatever yeah. like is cooler whatever <laughs> and i just hated I, I i like immediately was like oh i'm i cannot spend any more time investing in this side of it because there's just no there's no roi there's no return on this this is just mm. throwing it out into the, into the ether so about that time production studio stuff really started to take hold for me i started to realize that my time my talent my gifting at playing not just bass but guitar and piano and communicating drums and working in the studio was just it was a better use of my hourly output so I kind of picked and I said, all right, I'm going to go down this path because at least if I'm building something, I'm building it for myself. Uh, that took me out of Nashville, back to Kansas City for a year, then to Los Angeles for a year and a half, which was, it's, it's a weird black hole in my career because I am working for a vendor that sells music gear. I'm going to all of the coolest Los Angeles parties. I am meeting all of my favorite producers and engineers and artists. I went to fucking Drake's house, man. Like I've been inside <laughs> Drake's house while I was living in Los Angeles. It's a weird life, but I wasn't making music. And it was huh. very. Like your job was networking at that point? My job was selling. I was selling gear to all of these top I see. Okay. celebrities. But I wasn't making music. I wasn't in these parties mm. and them going, Josh, we really love this record you worked on. They would go, man, you're cool. Can I get 15% off that compressor when I come in? It's like, like, yeah. Like, <laughs> sure, just, just call me tomorrow. That's fine. Um, and it really, it put a lot on my heart to kind of go, nope, I need to be making music. So 2015, I move from Los Angeles back to Nashville. I make a calculated decision to go, I think Nashville is the best use of, I don't know what I'm, what I'm best at organic instruments, bands, good songs. Like I'm not super into DJ pop stuff. So Los Angeles just never really took for me, but writing right. good songs with acoustic guitars does that makes sense to me. So Nashville it was. So and was it just of, that component? Uh, as far as the type of music or were there also relationships that you looked at that you felt were more organic as well yeah I mean there were there was a lot of relationships honestly <laughs> the company I was working for in sales uh, offered to pay for my move to Nashville so I was like oh well, okay. there you go <laughs> yeah thank you I'll stay for another year and then I'll quit um so a lot of it a lot of it factored in but I knew I knew what I was great at worked the best in Nashville and I want to set myself up for success. Hmm. So 2015, I'm here in Nashville. I'm working a day job. I'm getting off at 5 p.m. and going straight to the studio from 5 till 8.30 or 9 o'clock at night trying to work on demos or songs or productions or whatever. Eventually it comes to a head in 2017 where I just can't do both. There comes a there comes a sweet spot where your your time is your only resource that really matters. And all of my time was spent at the day job. Hmm. So I decided to quit 
at the absolute worst time i quit right before my christmas bonus i, I left like eight grand oh. on the table um but i quit but for you to, did you you was it a thing like you looked back and said maybe i should have done two more months or are you like no that's when i needed to jump well so here's the thing um and this is why sometimes you just have to follow your gut in these moments had uh, the day i quit it was uh, end of September of 2017. I think that's right. Um, the next day, I get a phone call to fill in and play bass with a friend of mine, um, a current friend of mine. I didn't know him at the time, uh, named Johnny Bulford. Johnny was playing the show in Orlando. They needed someone to play bass, be music director, and drive the van. They were going to pay me like 900 bucks to do the one show. And I was like, that's that's really good money. That's a good bridge. This is a good flagpole to go, okay, I quit my job. This might be okay. Right. Had I not quit that exact day and not met Johnny that next day, Johnny is who introduced me to Chris, who is now my publisher, the artist that I have my biggest songwriting cut with. Like none of these things it's possible that's that i would have met wild, him. man I, I had no I idea it was yeah <laughs> sorry i keep cutting you off but i had no idea that was that moment that started the exact road you're on wow yeah i mean it was it was the leap of faith and it was rewarded just not in real time you know mm -hmm. but it had it not happened exact had i not just woke up that day and go i have i have to can i curse on this podcast I don't oh yeah all, all you if want i don't fucking quit right now like i'm gonna lose my mind um <laughs> And it was literally like life changing the person I met right after that. Hmm. So that's 2017, 2018. Um, 2017, I meet Chris. We start working on a couple songs. He starts a publishing company in 2018 and signs me. What he thought was to be um, what we call a Nashville attract guy. So just someone who makes beats and plays guitars and can do demos on the cheap he had no idea if i was a good songwriter or not mm -hmm. and about six months into my deal he was like wait you're you're actually a better songwriter than you are a track guy and i was like <laughs> and you're a damn good track dude like yeah you can, yeah you can i was just like i was like man thank you and so i kind of i started to double down on the writing side of it and go you know, in, in my brain, I thought I was going to be 80% music producer, 20% songwriter. And as it turns out, the thing I'm actually the best at is writing songs. And it's more 80-20 the opposite way now, four years later. I'm in the last year of my deal. And this year, you know, I have Chris, the song on Chris's record that came out in August, but that is potential to be a single this year. Um, I have a the new single for from the Swan Brothers, who were on The Voice. I have the album title track and the new single from a girl named Alexandra Kay, who just crushes it on TikTok and is opening up for Tim McGraw this summer. Nice. So like everything is like cresting at the absolute perfect time, but it was also four years of a lot of work and doubling down and writing and writing and writing and writing. So for example, with a publishing deal, you are on the hook for 12 songs every year. That's your contractual obligation. 
So Miguel, you and I write a song that counts as a half a song. Because okay. you wrote half, I wrote split. half. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> so it ends up being, most rights in Nashville are three-way rights. So you end up writing, needing to write like 36 songs a year, which is basically one a week. And you take like a month and a half off, which okay. is not that many songs. First year of my deal, I wrote 212. The That's second amazing. year, I wrote 180. The third year, I wrote like 150. This year, I will probably write 70. But that 70 have all like been the best songs I have written in my life. And I'm being more strategic in how they are written, where they are written, who they are written with, hmm. how they can have like a future being recorded and released and all that stuff. Well, so it it's a really like fast. You your craft, you know, each year whittle it down whittle it down what works what doesn't and like yeah the 80 20 thing in general even in writing which is yeah cool. yeah absolutely so there you go that's that's the progression from uh young josh who can't drink playing bass in a bunch of churches <laughs> to jaded veteran writing songs and grumbling and then going home and watching basketball well yeah can't drink playing bass all the way to writing songs about whiskey Correct. At some point in there. So <laughs> very full circle, very full circle. And what I love, and thanks for sharing that here for those listening. And what I love about your story, there, there's so many things I love about the story, but overall it's this perspective of just the nonstop trajectory and focus. And like, it took you was so at like year 18, if I'm not mistaken is when the pub deal came, right? Yeah, year 18 of a career yeah. is when like the the actual I'm getting paid for the attempt, not the completion started. Right. The the and it still was the start of the start, right? It's like the it's, start yeah. of you just getting started. <laughs> and in that piece, and you know, you meet so many artists like just starting out thinking like, you know, I'm gonna be fucking awesome, like roll off the couch, drop a beat, gets on TikTok. Now that happens, you know, as an anomaly. But sure. in reality, it, it seems like everyone I've met who are who has the sustained success like you, that is their story. You know, it's like, yeah, they had this break, but they worked their ass off to get there. And then they worked their ass off to make something of it. Yeah. Luck, luck often is hard work in in the silence. You know what I mean? Like there's right. so many years of hard work. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, he got so lucky. He was in the right place at the right time. It's like, no, sir, this is. <laughs> this is me placing myself in the right place at the right time for a decade and a half, you know? <laughs> well, and that's uh, Jim Collins book. I've, I'm sure in our conversations or many, many conversations over the years, I've, I've shared about good to great. And mm -hmm. he, t in a, it, their second one is called great by choice. They talk about ROL and they, they try to quantify luck from a business perspective. It's a, it's a fascinating thing. They, they talked about how their entire research team <clears throat> set up these parameters for what luck would, for way, for ways they could study luck and how luck operated in these businesses. And so they coined the term ROL return on luck. And they, all these like high performing companies they found had lucky breaks, but it was what they did with those lucky breaks because their competitors who didn't perform as well actually had more lucky breaks 
as their quantify like as they quantified it had mm-hmm. more lucky breaks than even they did it's just they didn't, they didn't know what to do with them they hadn't done the hard work they hadn't done the prep they could they didn't have enough cash flow or you know talent uh to survive and, or rec- or recognize it in the moment and go wow this is the exact moment that i have to like lean in as far as possible yeah well and even that piece too of in a sense it sounds like as i hear your story you're even training yourself on how to listen to your gut. You're training yourself on how to accept like who you were, what you wanted and, and make choices off of that. And as you said, that led you to, you know, give away money, essentially jump out of a, a really like secure job. But that was the moment as you look back on it. And that in itself is a muscle that has to be worked out there. Mm-hmm. I, I think most people should start their own business because you should see how fucking hard it is to run <laughs> your own business right? and have enough cash flow for employees or to pay your taxes or to make anything work, you know, um, because that is a, it's a muscle that you learn. Your gut is something you learn to trust. You learn when you have like a tolerance in there where you go, this is probably my best choice. Like, like quitting my job. The smart best choice was to stay two months, collect that check, and then right. bounce afterwards. It was winter. No one makes music in the winter. You know what I mean? Like there was just that, that this is the <laughs> dumbest thing I could have possibly done. And yet I knew in that moment from years of going, I think I'm supposed to do this. It may be hard. I don't know. I don't know what's next after that, but I think I have to do this. It was years of that going, fuck it. I gotta, I have to jump. I have, this is, I am losing joy. I am losing the pieces of myself that are good. I was on like, as you know, you've known me for a long time. We've known each other since, I mean, mid 2000s at least. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a long minute we've known each other (laughs) like west side family church days like way 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 back um (laughs) uh it (laughs) like there is no shortage of opportunities to (laughs) change your life and change things completely and each one costs you something and it is terrifying in the moment. And yet um, there is rewards on the other side every single time. There has been rewards for me. I can't say that for everyone. I'm sure right. there are people that want to be professional finger painters and feel that calling. And I do not, I'm not just saying, can't, you know, tank your job to go do it. But I'm also right. not saying to do that. Like you have to kind of know your own market and where you land in all of this. Um, yeah, there's a great podcast I, I just revisited by a guy named Naval. He's like an angel investor and did like angelslist.com, all that, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talks about the idea of building your own brand and how you pretty much can build it around anything. And he's like, but maybe if you're like really good at doing a pogo stick you can't build off of that but uh, you know within means maybe you could actually <laughs> make this thing absolutely happen. people will always need new songs people will always need ways to tell someone that they love them because they don't have the language to do it so like i right. feel like i'm set with the market that i have 
you got that. dove into. But now you, you, know. you stepping out though, to be a professional musician, even so early in your life, it seems like you have a propensity to walk in that risk or at least a high tolerance for risk. Has, has that been true for you or was it something you saw that you needed to cultivate? I think this is a nature versus nurture situation. Um, I am a product of a family that moved around a bunch when I was a kid. I was on okay. six state six states before high school. Gotcha. So change, uncertainty, new surroundings, starting over were things that I grew up being familiar with. Hmm. I had left comfort blankets, surroundings, friends, identity, like all of the things that are like <laughs> um, part of like the growing up experience. I, I didn't, I, that wasn't solid for me. So risk, uncertainty, the ability to go, I don't really know if this is going to work, but I have learned that I've started over so many times that, I mean, what's one more at this point? Like, I'll figure out how to navigate this later, you know? Um, so I think this is sort of, I think I was always going to do this in some sort of way, or at least have the tolerance to take risk. You know, I think right. that that was already built into me, um, whether it was in music or it, investing or, entrepreneurship or whatever like I think I was always going to be wired to be a little more risk takey than the average bear it's like you had the genetics for risk and then everything after that was just developing on top of those genetics in a way yeah and it was it was trying to apply that to the skills the skill set that I was already naturally good at I picked up music really early and I was really good at it very quickly and it's like oh okay this is an aptitude thing that I'm really, really strong at, at an age that like, if there was Instagram, when I was a kid, I would have been one of those like bass players that went viral on Instagram. Cause I was, I was shredding at like, like 11. Boop, boop, boop. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Everyone had been like, you got to check out this kid. Like that was me. And now I am like old jaded guys. Like, ugh, uh, TikTok put in, put in shit. Yeah. Put in 15 <laughs> years and then call me, you know? <laughs> That's awesome, man. Now, when you, you talked about this, this idea of identity and like mm -hmm. moving around, like you're, you're switching different places. Uh, it hits upon something for me, something I reflect. I, I love the road. Like even now I'm 41, I'm still looking forward to getting back to touring, getting back in new places. And I think one, one reason I personally like it is because it can challenge my identity. Like I feel like when I'm stuck in one place, I can't explore. I feel like trapped in, in a way I can't explore different parts of my personality or things I want, want to, uh, grow in or, or try out whatever it is. Um, and for you, you know, bouncing back and forth, like you went to Kansas city, uh, Nashville, LA back and forth again to where you're at now, Nashville for you. Was it, was it also wrestling through your own identity? What did it free you up to explore different parts of you? Or were you just searching for the thing that felt finally right? You know, I think my search for the identity and what you're describing was at a s such younger age. 
like when I when I moved around so I was born in Georgia I moved to Wisconsin then upstate New York then north of Chicago then the middle of nowhere Kansas and then Kansas City Hmm. I have tried on all facets of my personality at that point and also in a chameleon sort of way I absorbed personality traits of people that I liked in all of these different cities and just kind of made it mine moving forward right I don't that's an interesting thing to unpack as an adult now to go is this actually who I am or did I just sponge this from people and like regurgitate it as my own (laughs) fascinating like fraud (laughs) sort of thing to think about yeah it is interesting um but in a sense it it is who you became either way it it is and I got to have those experiences I in 93 I remember taking the Amtrak from Grays Lake Illinois into Chicago to see a Cubs game with me and my friend we were Mm. 93 makes me eight years old like (laughs) not old enough to navigate that correctly but also old (laughs) enough to have those experiences um and then immediately we moved from there to hutchinson kansas which has two hundred thousand people in the whole city and like right it's why i picked up guitar i was fucking bored like there was nothing else going on you know you could have became a bass player or an astronaut right yeah and and i had astronaut was out you know yeah fuck that then yeah (laughs) um so i got i got to experience some of these like Here's me in the big city. What does that feel like? Here's me in a small town. What does that feel like? And in a lot of ways, I'm thankful for all these things because I feel like these inform my songwriting now as an adult. Um, When I look at writing songs and themes of songs and emotions, I'm trying to speak to both people. I know what both of those experiences are. I know what it is Mm -hmm. to be a city dweller. I live in a downtown condo in Nashville. I know what it is to live in a small town like Hutchinson, Kansas isn't small, small town, but it is small. It's a small town. Like there's not, not a lot going on in Hutch. Yeah. Um, I know what both of those emotions feel like. I know what people in both of those existences need to hear or need the language for. And so that helps me now write things for people to say that it, how to encompass the emotion not just the specifics how to speak to the human experience on all levels not just writing for bubba or writing above everyone's head and being like super metaphor and like heady and only only the intellectuals will like my songs like how do you do both and how do you write stuff beautifully to hit all of those you know Right. Well, and that's what I loved uh, when you came out here to Kansas City and you spoke at one of the clinics. You know, here you are making a living writing country music, but you're in Jordans and like a hoodie at that point. (laughs) Right. And but you spoke to that and it'd be cool to jump into that a little bit as well is the idea of how do you write authentically who you are, but then connect it with the audience you're writing for. Uh, what are some of the the tools you've learned along the way to do that well? Yeah, um, 
that's an excellent question that I'm still trying to figure out a little bit. Um, <laughs> but hey, you're getting better. 200, 180 down. And, yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm whittling it down for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, there. I think it was I think it was a Hemingway quote that resonated with me early, um, and it was something to the effect. I'm going to butcher it, but it was something to the effect of there is only one you. There is only one Miguel. There is only one person that has had your very specific experiences dealing as a stepfather, a, a father, like a husband, the career that you've chosen, the people you've surrounded yourself with, the experiences going to the Middle East to play shows. Like there is only one you. You are the only one that has experienced and felt the things that you have felt. Hmm. And that gives you validity as a songwriter just by itself. Like you have a perspective that no one else is going to have. Right. Likewise, for myself, um, you know, I am a product of change and loss. Like that's, those are the two words that kind of come up a lot in my emotional journey of a, as a songwriter from moving around a bunch. Like nothing is permanent. Um, I know what it feels like to lose people over and over and over and over again. I know what it feels like to be very alone. I started to unpack in therapy that like when I moved to Kansas city, I was depressed. Like I did not get out of bed for like a couple weeks. I, I block this out of my memory. As far as I know, I moved to Kansas city, started going to Oak park, met Brandon and Steve and we started a band and that was like, that was it. But when I really you blocked out that heavy part, yeah, but when I look back at it, I go, no, there was a period where I'm I'm spending that whole summer in my bed sleeping. And even the first like two weeks of school, coming home from school and climbing into bed and like, that's it, you know? <clears throat> and I start to go, okay, this is something that I have felt. I know what it feels like to be alone. I know what it feels like to have to lose or to change or whatever. And like, how can I speak? How can I pour some of that into songs? Like, how do you, how do you, you know, the, the art of writing songs is a learned art. You get to spend time with better writers than yourself and you learn the tricks. You learn how to, how to rhyme certain words or what words to stay away from, or, Hey, this line right here really matters, but the line before it you have some room to do whatever you want. Like there's, there's rules that you kind of learn and you learn how to dance between them. But the content is the thing that truly makes you elite or special as a songwriter and learning how, like, how, how is my experience of feeling alone or always wanting to feel loved or feeling abandoned or like, Hey, lots of people feel that. And they even don't even realize they feel it a lot of times until you give them the language that they feel it. And they go, Hey, that's my story too. Um, yeah, you're giving them the words that they can't even articulate themselves. I think that's such a powerful part of writing songs. It's, it's the mo it's the number one part. It's why Hallmark exists. People can't look at each other and go, <laughs> Hey, I love you. Happy birthday. They have to get a fucking card that says it on there for them. They spend $2 to do it because they are incapable of doing it. Right. And, and so when you recognize that you go and go, okay, this is tough for people. It's not tough for me. I live in an emotional, 
I'm a mush ball. Like I, I live an emotional life all the time because all I'm doing is writing songs about love or pain or drinking or regret or all this stuff. And I'm putting on these stories and these experiences that sometimes I've felt, sometimes I haven't, but I can, I can project myself into it. And I've lived through thousands of breakups that I've never actually had because I've written songs about them. I have, I have lived out intense love stories that I've never actually had because I've written songs about it. And that's a fascinating thing to kind of sit with a a little bit. Like there is this, there is the reality of Josh. I'm a pretty boring person. I wake up pretty early. (laughs) I play basketball. I like to cook music. I write songs and that's sort of it. Right. And then there is this like writer fantasy version of myself that is filled with hope and love and emotion and all of these things. And that's true too, but it's just not, it's true, but not accurate to my day to day. And it's, it's a really interesting thing to walk through. Right. In a way, it's almost like the context in which, well, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'll, I'll rephrase it. Do you feel like the songwriting is, is a context that's safer for you to like, emote those things and tell those stories sure absolutely absolutely i don't actually have to be me (laughs) that's why i'm never i've never done an artist thing that's too much spotlight on me and how i feel or what i me 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 right right but if i'm a songwriter i get to use my experience my emotions and give language to a an artist and let it be about them I get to put some space between me and the spotlight, which is wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) So you, you personally prefer in a sense that anonymity. Oh yeah. I, I very much appreciate being able to still shop at Kroger and not have people come up and be like, Hey, didn't you write that song? Like, that's not a thing that ever happens to me, which is great. You're I like, like I, looking I, like a homeless guy and just being a hoodie and gym shorts and like not have to worry about someone taking my photo. Well, and I love that most of the time we stopped in, uh, in Nashville, you were driving around like a little minivan. You're like, I'm just, Oh yeah. I was, I was rocking my little minivan for yeah. Nine years, man. Yep. Finally died. I can't remember what, uh, what you ended up getting after it died, but I, I remember seeing your, is your post, I guess, if it getting towed off or something. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, damn. That's iconic shit right there. <laughs> yeah, that was an end of an era, man. Like there, I felt like, you know, I felt like not to this level, but like Steve Jobs, I'm just like in the same hoodie and driving a minivan because my brain has to like focus on music stuff. And it's all, I don't, ha- I don't care. I, and I, and honestly, driving a minivan was like the best thing for my ego. I'm not cool. Like there is just nothing cool about <laughs> A guy rolling up in a minivan unless it's like hey do you and your seven friends want to go somewhere like let's let's roll you know now it's interesting to me and i I wrestle with all the time as i observe like some of the bigger well-known artists right and it seems like the further people go in their career the more songwriters they bring and get involved where like even bands even rock bands are doing it now where that was more of a kind of a taboo thing previously but it's like they they get up there and they recognize they need to bring in other people to help them grow their craft, to grow their songwriting. Um, 
I'm, I guess I, I'm curious, do you think always being out front as an artist can kind of get in the way with telling that honest story? And that's one reason they have to bring in songwriters that aren't necessarily seeking that spotlight. I think that's a, a very uh, interesting point. So it, it would be I'm not tough. necessarily saying yes or no. I've just I've just wrestled yeah. with that concept. No, so. yeah. I think so here's the difference between you and I in this moment, right? How many times mm -hmm. has have people come up to you after a show and been like, You're such a great vocalist, you're so you're such high energy, right. like you it happens all the time, right? Yeah, you start that ego starts getting fed. Right. Can That's never happened in a certain me. direction. Never happened That's to never, you. <laughs> it's never happened to me. So already like how we feel about ourselves and how we perform and how we tell stories is going to be a little different. Right. And, and, and there needs to be ego. I have ego. I have ego. I do think that I'm fucking awesome. Like, <laughs> and you need, you need to have some ego in order to be successful. Like there is, that's just a straight line. You have to think that your shit doesn't stink. You got to be ballsy to take the steps. Any of us are trying to take, you know what I mean? 100%. You got to believe in yourself somewhere in there. 100%. But I, my ego gets fed if someone tells me they really loved a song that I wrote. It's, it has nothing to do with me. It just had everything to do with my ability to craft something, which isn't even mm. fully me. It's, it's usually collaborative between me and some people. Right. Um, whereas you can probably get fed a lot of just personal compliments of you are great. You are really awesome oh, at this. Oh my you God. Are, am I? Yeah. 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 Are you, are you, you're shining so hard right now. Um, <laughs> so it's hard. Like, and that's, that's on the look at scalability of that. That's where you're at right now. So imagine being Ryan Tedder. Yeah. Where everyone kisses your ass. Everyone wants something from you. Everyone thinks you're the greatest. And also you are the greatest. Ryan Tedder is He's literally the, the greatest on all the things he does right. all the things. And so trying to tell an unfiltered truth in that moment is so much harder. It's so much mm -hmm. harder when you're on a private plane to Belize because some, someone paid you a million dollars to go play the show. You know, <laughs> it's a relativity that just doesn't quite exist with us, you know? And it, it's right. not that his stories now in his part of his life are not any less true. They are, but how it connects and in the ways it connects is different. And so you need, I believe, I believe in the power of co-writing. I think I said this when I, when I taught my class in Nashville, mm -hmm. I think we, you and I have had conversations like this where. Which I had my first know. one like two weeks ago, finally. Yeah. And how'd it go? I'm It went great. And I, I am now, I, I have to do a bunch of tracking for our live shows right now, but as soon as I get past that season, I'm just going to make it a regular part because I, I loved it so much because it made me uncomfortable and honestly speaks to kind of what we're talking about. Like it took me out of the thing, um, the thing that I'm stuck in. We can jump on that later though. I kiboshed where you were going. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think that that's really important. It, and, and it's, it says the same thing. So the, that point is like looking at you and I as writers right now, because I've spent a lot of time working on your song. So I, I know, right. I know who you are as a writer. 
you probably know my voice much better than even myself as well of all the Melodyne that you've had One, to do. 100%. I have heard your voice more than you have heard your voice. I, I can promise you that. Um, you, your strength is telling um, bigger metaphorical ideas. Mm-hmm. You're trying to grasp the entire like universe in a metaphor <laughs> And I just sit here and go, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about right now, you know? <laughs> Likewise, I'm a much more emotional, literal, clever writer. That's mm. that is what I, that's my strength. My strength is right. to craft lines in a way that make you go, wow, that's like a poignant emotion, but he said it in a way that like really gripped me, right? Mm. So I imagine if you and I wrote a song together, it would be somewhere in between both of those things where you would have these big concepts and have more poetic language than I would use. But I would also tether you back down to earth and go, how does this connect? Um, It was one of our more in reality, I think. Yeah. And it it was one of our, our really, it was a cool turning point when, when I was producing that EP with um, I need a light. Cause that was the first song where I go, Miguel, you, you did the thing here. And you're like, I, what do you mean? Like, I just write, <laughs> I write a million songs. Like what, what's special about this one? I just shitted I that like, thing out. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. You just piss excellence. Um, <laughs> but there was in both the melody and the lyrics you were telling a big story, but also being very gripping in how you were doing it. And that's what really resonated. And we saw that kind of, that song really do some things, stream better than a lot of the other songs, like open up some doors, change how you do the live show, change what you're looking for out of a song. Like it, it, it sort of informed some stuff moving forward. Absolutely. And I may be remembering it incorrectly. Um, It seems like, God, that seems like an eternity ago. It was. Uh, it, it, in a lot of ways, it was a lifetime ago, I think, for you and I. Yeah. Um, but I do think in the process, because that song had multiple iterations, and I think mm-hmm. in that process, um, even some of your input drove it down to like, how can you make, how can you make the verses very real to people? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it's interesting that like these over overarching concepts, like the big thirty thousand foot thing. That's where I love to live, um, but the songwriters that I've been drawn to are like Jason Isbell. And then I can't think of the guy's name from the Lumineers, Um, Mm. but they're, they have such a powerful storytelling, like a picture of like, you know, running down to shine your boots because you fell in, you want to fall all in love with your wife all all over again, you know, and, and what it's like getting your boots shine and how much it was on the street corner. It's like, I don't write like that. So I'm kind of gravitating towards that, which I think the power of the co-writing that you've been pushing, uh, it was Ryan Rancudo and I, we sat down and I, I just recognized from the moment, he's such a talented person and he sees mm-hmm. the world differently than me. And just in that moment, he helped paint a picture that like was very, very real, very detailed, real life. And I was like, whoa, this is cool. I get it. I get why Josh has been saying it. Start co-writing Miguel. <laughs> And it just pulls different stuff out of you and, and what you're going to be looking for out of songs. Like right. I had, I had two rights the last two days. I had an evening, right. Two nights, uh, two days ago. And then I had to write yesterday. 
And the evening right two days ago was with the runner-up on last season of The Voice, I think. Okay. His name's Aunt Andrew something. Like, cool dude from Texas. Like, really cool, raspy voice. And it was a four-way right, which is really tough, getting four people all on the same page. This is why I stopped doing bands in, in general. Um, <laughs> That's why I wanted to start with a two-person co-write. I'm going to work my way into it. <laughs> I have yeah, a lot to I, learn. I, three is sort of the sweet spot because if two people are split, there's a third voice that kind of is the tiebreaker, you know? Okay. But we went down probably five different vibes and styles everything from like a straight up blues where he's just like growling and bending every vocal note possible and I just wasn't feeling any of it honestly um and I kind of stopped all of the co-writers in that moment I go these are cool but this isn't special like, how do we write something that's special? How do we, I don't care if it needs, if you think you need an up-tempo or you need a ballad, I don't really give a shit in this moment. Like, find people that will write your up-tempos or your ballad. Like, it, I don't, I just want to make really great songs. And if it's a great song, no one's going to give a shit, you know? <laughs> and, and so I just kind of said, like, how do we make this special? How do we do something that's special? while while informing like my conversation with the the dude from the voice was like who what artists do you like like how do we approach the melodies what kind of moments do you need that you want to hold out a note so that you sound all chris stapleton-y and then oh but you also love morgan wallen and that's the really rhythmic thing like how do we incorporate both of those in the same song you know so it's like Mm -hmm. parameters but also how do you how do you make something special? And that's all I care about anymore. And we wrote this really awesome song that's probably going to end up on his EP that he's doing. Same thing with yesterday. We were chasing a couple ideas and I had one of the writers from two nights ago was in my right yesterday. And he's the one that goes, but how do we make it special? And I just stopped and I go, my work here is done. Like this is... (laughs) This is, this is, this is the cool part about, about co-writing and collaborating in these ways is like that moment for him when we ditched the bluesy song and wrote a really just legitimately great song changed how he approaches writing songs forever, probably. Right. Because he comes into the next write and goes, how do I make this special? Like, how do I, how do I focus on the things that make this great now? Was it the fact that he was trying to fit into something he thought it should have been instead of letting it be what it, what it was becoming? There's a lot of that. And there's a lot of, um, because there are probably, you know, a couple thousand songs written every day in Nashville. It sometimes mm-hmm. it feels like the rat race of just, well, let's just get a song and then we'll see which ones stick later. Right. And I'm sort of in a place in my career now where I'm like, I don't really want to do that. I did that in the first two years of my, of my <laughs> writing career. Yeah. Um, you got those numbers up there. Yeah. I want to approach my career as if I am Ryan Tedder, that my time is valuable and that the songs that I'm trying to write are going to be global smash number ones. And if they're not that, like, why am I here? 
Like mm-hmm. if I'm not here to write a song that sticks with people over a long term and changes how they view either themselves, their lives, or is something that they have felt and had no way of saying before. If I'm not doing that, like I should just stay home. Like, fuck that. Like that's just not, it's not worth spending the creative energy and the brain power to do so for me, Right. for me. And that may not be for everyone, but there are, there are things, you know, there are tricks that I've gleaned from people. Now I have given that to some of my co-writers that are now going to walk into rooms that have nothing to do with me and go, how do we make this special? How do we Mm -hmm. approach this and go, I know what it takes to make a song from good to great. How do we not settle for good and actually make this really, really cool? So what, I mean, the biggest question then, like in those moments, those rooms you're in, the rooms that these other co-writers are going to, what is the secret? How do you make it special? I don't know. <laughs> I can tell you what it is for me. Yeah. Um, but this is, this feels like, I mean, it's this sort of feels like grandstanding a little bit for me because I have one major label cut. That's not even a single in my career like that. Am I making a, a legacy of writing great songs and working with great artists and doing the thing? Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you ask, people, I think the, I think the thing is though, is you're on like mile 50 when a lot of other people are still on mile five, like yeah. no matter and you, I no doubt see, you know, mile a thousand down the road for yourself, but like, man, the accomplishments you have, I think you have a lot to offer. Like the kind of people that you're writing with, they don't invite people into the rooms unless they trust you. Even like you, you shared, you know, Chris, brought you in under one idea of tracking and then yeah. he saw like oh shit he's got something and now he's you're on a record that just went didn't it go gold already that record uh, it should be yeah yeah, yeah i think that, it did that, that should be real so I, I think i don't i i say that just because i don't think it's grandstanding by any means um i think you there's a I know lot. I just I get I get nervous <laughs> that like I feel like I'm getting preachy and it's like this dude can't I'm not I can't back it up quite in the same well, way and you said but... a critical piece that the for me part too because for yeah. each person um you know there's just like me I get up at 5 a.m you know f- super early every day that's my little life hack for myself but like there's other people who don't start shit till 10 a.m and they're very successful, more successful than I am. And so like, that's their thing, you know? So yeah, it's all. Yeah. And, and you can't, com- you can't compare all those things. So for me, right. you know, what makes it special? Um, you have to, I mean, this is, this is kind of like Josh's guide to songwriting a little bit, but you have to have a clear idea of what you're trying to do. So for example, Hmm. the song from two nights ago, um, the song we wrote called God bless this bar. And it was my idea. Um, I had this, I had this melody, um, for the first line of the chorus, which is God bless this bar and like put it in whatever key that he sounds like he's belting that high note right right um and i was like 
can I, question number one, is that a cool enough idea? Maybe that that is dependent on how we write the rest of it. But it's like, okay, well, what is the idea? The idea is that this dude has been sort of kicked in the teeth in life in general. And thank God for this one place where he can just go and everything's okay. It's not even really like, we didn't, I made sure to like not touch on sinners and saints. I didn't want to pass judgment on people and I didn't want to make it a church. I just wanted it to make the, as like this refuge for when shit gets hard. Mm -hmm. And that the picture of this dude is like, he's sitting there at the bar. His life kind of fucking sucks right now. And he's just like, thank God for this place. (laughs) Like that was really, that's really it. And that is a emotion and feeling that we, everyone has felt maybe not even directed at a bar, but it might just be a place. Could be a coffee shop, could be your den in your house, you know? Mm -hmm. So I wanted to write it in a way that the idea felt special. So I was like, okay, this is cool. Like, I feel like that's good enough. The melody, once he starts belting it, um, that then started to feel special because his rasp in his, in his voice, like really started to kind of be cool. And then the biggest thing for me is like, can I close my eyes and think of a crowd of 10,000 people singing this back to me? That is, I, 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 I write in reverse. I try to think about what, if the crowd, if I point the mic at the crowd, I go, you sing, what are those lyrics coming back? Not me trying to tell them what to fucking sing to me, but what if I just like stop for a second and try to envision the future and they sing it back to me, what, what are they actually saying? What are words that people would want to say? Cause we get caught in this where I'm like, oh, they'll sing this word back to me and cause then they'll, cause they'll like my song and that'll make sense. <laughs> cause I'm awesome and amazing and right. everyone tells me so. And what, and what, burst that in half for me was I was at uh, a place in Nashville called third and Lindsley getting ready to watch Morgan Wallen do an acoustic set. This is a couple of years ago. This is before Morgan Wallen is like the massive superstar that he is now. And tequila by Dan and Shay comes on. Hmm. And I noticed something very specific in the crowd. Cause there's probably, I don't know, maybe 800 people in this bar between the balcony and whatever. And everyone gets to the chorus and it was like, when I taste tequila, baby, I still see you. And that really taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about both some lines don't matter right like that people are going to mumble shit back to you and, and they don't even really give a shit because to... that's a, a monster song so <laughs> that's a monster 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 number one so some lines don't matter and also the fan experience of singing some lines really 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 matter mm-hmm. and so how and like isn't it funny that the one that the lines that everyone sang super loud and knew every word were the 
lines that are up here but when it go they didn't really give a shit about learning those words and that and that was so like god bless this bar oh walls that i can run to when i'm lost like that i can sit there and go yeah a crowd would sing that back to me at third and Lindsley. And so I write right. in reverse in that way. That's mm. what makes me fucking weird. People don't think like that. They think but about writing tra- in reverse. That's like when you write your book on songwriting, um, cause there needs to be a good one out there. Uh, writing in reverse is like, that's a, a really awesome concept. I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it's after, you know, like that's what feels special to hmm. me and if i can capture that and this also means that i lean more radio friendly because of the songs that i love like i'm not going to write the next jason isbell single <clears throat> yeah and, and i'm and okay neither with will i, <laughs> I <Yeah. feel> <laughs> and, and i'm really okay with that and the older i get the more i go oh this is what's meant for me and this is what's not i uh, karaoke last night aside from singing creed I got up there and sang All or Nothing by O-Town and I sang I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys. And these are two of my favorite songs because of the hooks and the accessibility and just that belty moment in in those songs. That is what I've always loved. It's what I've always loved about songs. And so like, why would I fight the things that I naturally love to like go, Hmm. here's a droning song about like, dirt on my floor and it's like i just don't i don't give a shit i don't right. this and and it's not to say that those are bad songs they're not those songs are awesome and they met they meet people where they're at but right. those are not the ones that i am supposed to write well that's like jason isbell's song elephant if you're familiar with that one it's one of the most gut-wrenching heartbreaking dark songs that may have ever been written i love it like i'm getting emotional thinking about it right now <laughs> yeah but it's probably a song that I would never write. And we'd probably be in a sense of like music. If Jason Isbell was always trying to write pop tunes and that's what he tried to do, like that would be a disservice to the people he's connecting with as well. Well, and even a a level deeper, if Jason Isbell and I were in a room and he said, Hey, I got this song idea. It's called elephant. I'd be like, (laughs) I don't know about that, bro. (laughs) And, and, and that's, and it's it's not to pass judgment. It's for me to go, yeah, okay. I need to surround myself with artists that feel the same way, that like the same kind of songs. Mm. Writers that either I'm being brought in to bring that sort of accessibility and catchiness into the right, or we are trying to write those kind of songs. Right. Um, and that's where I should live. And like fine tune and hone that and stop trying to write things that are outside of Mm. a a plus or minus tolerance of 15% of that, you know, like I do want to stretch myself. I don't want to just be, I'm trying to write boy band songs, but I also have no business writing indie rock. I have no business writing extremely sad, somber songwriter stuff. Like that's just not, my gifting and so the more i know that the more it can inform what i think a special song is Hmm. yeah i think 
even as a uh, run with it coming back online, as we build like the crew around us, that's been a piece for me too, is wrestling with like, I always want to have like constructive criticism. I want to grow and stretch, but realizing everyone needs to have the same goal. Everyone needs to be shooting for the same like thing, whether it be the kind of songs you want to do, the kind of performance you want to do, like, and then within that, you can have the kind of that tension in there. But it's like, when you put artists together who, like you said, like if someone, if, if you and Jason Isbell are in a room together, you guys might be shooting at way different goals. And it's just, at the end of the day, you guys are just going to be either frustrated or mad when, if you were separate, you could just respect what the other person is doing, you know? One, 100%, a, a perfect, this happened in real time for me a couple years ago. Um, I was placed in a write with a wonderful artist named Hannah Dasher, hmm. who sounds like D- Dolly Parton. Uh, like she just, we could not have been more different in, in, <laughs> in how we approach everything. And about 20 minutes in, I just looked at her and she looked at me and I was like, you just want to call it and like go get a beer or something. <laughs> she says, yep. <laughs> I was like, sick. All right. <laughs> like, yeah. We just be like, better friends. <laughs> yeah, like this ain't it, Chief. Like we're 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 all right. Um, I have a question for you. Yeah. So, run with it coming back on and the addition of Matt on guitar. Yeah. I know you guys are kind of rehearsing through older stuff now and then kind of looking towards the future with new records and stuff. But like, you know, this is not a judgment on you, but Matt is a drastically better guitar player than you. Like, how does that? changed the ceiling for you guys and has it already started to change the ceiling for what you guys are able to do and how is that going to show up like with music moving forward for you guys oh my god it has expanded the sonic spectrum that we can execute live but i also i'm very excited about the next iteration of songwriting as well because Mm -hmm. like he's a great producer and he studies like the the craft as well like the how songs work he loves that pop idiom and it like i feel like our 2023 stuff's really going to take us to a different like level and i think it it brings especially with the guitar work and guitar ability i think there's going to be a rock a little more rock edge but we all love pop all three of us um so like almost like that one republic kind of like dancey rock type vibe is yeah. I think is going to grow out of it but with the capabilities of some incredible guitar playing like and yeah. even so for example uh one more fight so we just worked up one more fight and uh oh you finally have someone that can play the guitar solo yes exactly (laughs) we just ran that and so what we did previously because we could not i i tried i tried for weeks i had an app that slowed down the guitar solo by um i blank on his name every time nathan nathan that nathan did in the studio and i like slowed it down to 50 percent slower and i'm trying to work on that shit and like I finally came into rehearsal after like a few weeks. I was like, guys, my time would be better spent on a million other things than trying to do this thing that I will never be able to do. Like I just, right. it's just not my skill set. And so well, and we performed. You, guys, you you performed it just piano then, right? Yep. Like that was the only way you guys would do that song. Exactly, and it, it was a beautiful moment, honestly, for our show. But oh my god, 
like we just ran it with the guitar parts in there and him doing the solo he took where nathan started and then within the middle uh brings in kind of his own like approach to it and then brings it back towards the end and the solo and oh man like every rehearsal i walk away just so excited of yeah of the potential there so the the songs that we have coming out in fall we have two tracks that are going to be dropping uh like brand new ones and those are ones i started as a working as a solo artist <laughs> mm-hmm. i put in quotes because i just it just was never back to like it never was my vibe like i was like i'm just not a i'm not a justin bieber kind of like solo person like i think i need a band like that's that's my yeah. personality um yeah like there's there's a really heavy guitar parts uh, in there. There's like this Paramore kind of riff thing in one of them that Matt like created in the studio. And it was like, it was in that creation as we started writing that stuff together and he was helping arrange it. I was like, oh, run with it 3.0. I think Matt's gotta be part of it. I was like, if he wants to do it, let's fucking do it. So yeah, yeah, I'm very, I'm very excited about it. And it frees me up to just put the guitar down or to play acoustic guitar on certain songs that I never did, um, or just to play like basic piano, some keys parts, those kind of things. And sure, honestly, yeah, so like for a song like Time, like you can probably just play acoustic now and all of a sudden the song right. crushes even better, you know? Exactly, yeah. And that one, actually, we were working up where I'm doing like a clean, uh, like neck, like pickup kind of vibe with just mm-hmm. strumming and with him playing the electric. But uh, on your own, I bring out the acoustic guitar. Oh, and that, yeah. it, when we did that, that kind of opened up the spectrum as well. And long term, honestly, I'd love to get uh, like either bass player or bass player and keys player too. Because uh, there's a lot of synth shit, of course, with me. It's synth. synth. For all those synth. listening, the, the joke was um, all you had to do is put synth on it or say synth and Miguel's in. Because yeah. I didn't like 80s. I said I didn't like 80s music, but the truth was, I do. And I, you do. I fucking yeah. love it. I love all of yeah. it. Yeah, for, for like years, literal years, you're like, <laughs> can we put some synth on it? I was like, well, what, what kind of synth? And Miguel would go, uh, synth. I don't, I don't know. Synth. Just synth. Just put some synth on it. I'm like, some oh. badass synth. Isn't there one called badass pop I'm synth? Sure, I'm sure there is a preset. Yeah. But yeah, that was that was so funny. I was like, like, do you want a pad? What do you want from me? <laughs> but yeah, as you honestly, there was that moment in the studio that I'll never forget. I've actually shared. You're probably one of the most referenced people on this podcast. I'm not shitting you um, <laughs> when I tell stories because I one you've you've just done you've poured so much into me and run with it along the way, which I'm very grateful for. Um, but so many lessons that stick out. And I, I remember the day sitting in your, when you were in the studio underneath an optometry, like yep. whatever, what what's it called? Optimo, uh, optometrist. Yeah. Optometrist. <laughs> yep. I remember you saying, so you spun around in your chair and you said, so Miguel, and it was one more fight. You said, I got an idea and uh, you could probably pull it off. It would take you a few weeks. <laughs> he said, but I also have somebody that could probably do it in like two or three takes. It's mm-hmm. up to you. And I was like, let's let's get in the ringer. Like, let's get in the the person going to truly execute this. So it's like, for me, I, I think that was a place where it helped me kind of make that shift of like, I have to do all the things to like, no, 
like, let's bring the best people that we can in on this and like mm-hmm. set that ego away. Cause I deal with the ego shit too, but it's like, set that ego away. How do we get the best people in there? And that's what it's so it's been invigorating to have a guitarist like Matt, um, next to us and working on everything in rehearsals. Um, yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. It's, it was, it was a cool moment because I think it all clicked for you in that moment and you go, right. Cause while I would like to maybe repaint my bedroom, I don't necessarily need to do all of the electric work and the trim work as well. If I really, you know, if there's someone exactly that can do it in an hour, that would take me five days. Like maybe this is not the best use and it will turn out even better than we could have ever hoped for, you know? And it's, it, and there's so many stories of that in all sorts of bands throughout all of the history of music. So like, it is no different than, (laughs) you know, Michael Jackson hiring Eddie Van Halen to play a guitar solo. You know what I mean? Like this is on, this is the same level there. Were there people in the studio that could have done it? Probably like, but did he crush it? Yeah, absolutely. Right. (laughs) Well, and I've, I'd venture to say that the bands that don't learn that probably don't go as far because you like if you're stuck in just your own skill sets and you don't grow the community around you you don't grow the amount of value input if you will like your thing can grow whatever you're trying to grow you know and that's that's the thing i'm becoming more and more passionate about of of how do you like the podcast just dropped today we talked about this concept of a success party where it's like it should just be success should be like you're inviting as many people in as possible. You're seeing opportunities and bringing the value that you can contribute. And it just continues to grow into this, hopefully like a big success party for everybody. And they're, they're gleaning from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, well, and it, it's, you know, there is, I think we unpacked this a little bit on the first release of this record, but we had a couple conversations of you going, this is awesome how the fuck am I supposed to play this live? And, (laughs) and we kind of had to have that conversation of like, what's good for a record, like is not the same as what's good for a live show. And absolutely. You look at bands like queen would stack all of this ridiculous stuff that they couldn't necessarily do live, but that their live show was still really great. And they figured out the right pieces to lean into that translated. Right. And that I thought that was a really cool moment as well, because I think it freed you to look at records going, I can do anything. If I want a chorus of Miguel, if I want 10,000 Miguel's (laughs) singing the same word, I can do that. Exactly. Um, And then when it comes to the live show, we will figure it out. (laughs) Well, it it expanded my mind to where I'm like, like the record is one art form and live is one art form. And then realizing even in that is multiple layers of art forms. And then now realizing the live and virtual experiences are another art form, even down to like uh, Trey, my oldest, he was telling me I, he's trying to find the link because apparently the Grammy scrubbed it. But at some point Kendrick Lamar did a show with, or did a song with you two And then in the middle of it, they had Dave Chappelle come out and do like within a Kendrick Lamar song doing stand up, like all together. And it's like, you're probably not going to do that on a record, but live for this moment was, Mm -hmm. yeah, even that just expanded. Like, what can you do? 
how can we make this a whole other experience? So absolutely. One of my favorite concerts I've ever been to was at Starlight Amphitheater in Kansas City. And it was my favorite band of all time, the Counting Crows, uh, a band called Augustana, who we all mm -hmm. love, and a rapper from New York named Notar. Notar. <laughs> Notar. He's from Brooklyn. Um, and they opened the show and it was both bands plus the rapper all on stage singing Van Morrison's Caravan. Wow. That's how, that's how the whole show. So like 30 people on stage between crew bands, everyone had microphones. People had red solo cups. They had tambourines in hand and they were just, <laughs> everyone was singing. Right. And for the next three hours, it would be like, Counting Crows plus Dan Leis from the lead singer of Augustana doing a song, or it'd be half of Counting Crows and half of Augustana, or it'd be an Augustana, it'd be all of Augustana singing one of their songs, but Adam Duritz from Counting Crows would come out and sing verse two, so or cool. it would be all of Counting Crows, and then random people would just run out and sing like background vocals on the chorus and then run off stage, or it was hmm. the Counting Crows band as the backing band to the rapper. And the music didn't stop That's for amazing. three, three straight hours. That like, and it, that's inspiring. Sorry, I cut you off. I just, that's an inspiring moment. It's got my brain running. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because, and, and I think that that is probably how concerts were in the seventies a little bit more mm -hmm. when you, when you look at these bands, like, I don't know, Zeppelin and Humble Pie and like all of these bands that kind of toured with each other. I think that's why like, the art form moved forward guitar got better because people were playing with each other at concerts people would run out on stage people would guest star people would leave their amp set up and come out and play a guitar solo on someone else's song and it was such a cool thing and it's like it has to be the right group of people but man if it's done well like that mm -hmm. that live show has always been my number one like that set the bar mm -hmm. of like wow that was a once in a lifetime thing i've seen bands on tours where i've seen them twice on the tour and it was the exact same set list and it's the exact same talking points and it's great but it's not once in a lifetime it's being re replicated over and over and over again but this mm -hmm. was a once in a lifetime concert there would only be right. one of those now and that's it's interesting like what makes things special right we're coming back to that notion like even with the songwriting it's like it makes me think about tom jackson <clears throat> and for those listening tom jackson is like a live performance coach essentially and but when he he talked about working with a band where they had a 12-minute showcase they had a number one hit kind of like rising you know that was helping them kind of get their rise and they wanted to do all their songs for this 12 minutes. And so they wanted to mash up like all like eight songs on the record or whatever it was. And he was like, no, what you're going to do is one song for 12 minutes and we're going to make it the coolest fucking thing <laughs> like ever. And he's like, he said he, it, it, ha it took him forever to sell him on the idea and they finally did it. And he said, ultimately it was the only song talked about, or is the only showcase talked about like in some paper that, about that showcase like because yep. they were like they he's like we went into these crazy drum breaks and these unique like moments and it's like we get so caught up in being cool or doing the thing that we think we need to get all those songs out there but again like how do you make it special how do you mm -hmm. make it and then 
I wonder the same thing, even as you talked about the songwriting, like making that songwriting special, make it unique. Like some of the things I hear and what you're saying, it's like authenticity to who the artist is, to who you are as a writer. But then that writing in reverse is such a phenomenal <laughs> concept, man. <laughs> it really is. Um, of like ultimately knowing where where you want to take it and stepping out of the, oh, we need a we need a pop hit or we need this hit or we need that thing instead and, of and, like and the writing in reverse moment. part of it yeah and the writing in the of in reverse part of it is man it you have to trust the fact that you've listened to enough music at this point that you are a professional music listener and you have been for 40 years right. that you have absorbed Paula Abdul songs that you don't even think about or you've observed that, like I do think about Paula Abdul songs, okay, a lot. Just to just Anyways. straight up now, babe. Do you really want to love? Um, or real big fish during the ska movement, or mm. like that you're that somewhere in your subconscious, you have you there is a Spotify playlist that is forty fucking years long, okay, <laughs> and that you can access it and you know what um is supposed to happen it is when we get too heady and try to like no Mm. but check out it's plaids and stripes together in the same pant don't you like it (laughs) where we we start to lose it a little bit right but if but if you rather just go, I don't know, it's a song about pants. Like, what what would people want to sing about pants instead of me telling them this is what they should sing? Like, what would they sing back? Like, that is, hmm. that that's writing in reverse to me. It's me going, look, I've listened to enough big hits. I understand what, why songs have become popular and what about them has become popular. That if I close my eyes and I go, God bless this bar. What would they sing next? What are they going to sing back to me after that? Mm. What what do they want to sing? How do they grab the person next to them and be like, man, I'm so glad they're playing this song because these lyrics really hit home for me or whatever. Right. And you and just trusting you've already done all the legwork that there isn't any more analysis that needs to be made. There is no, oh, I should choose this note instead of this one because it's cool. It's a minor third or it's a major seventh. And that'll showcase that I'm kind of jazzy in what I do. Look how cool Instead of doing, yeah. Instead of doing that, just kind of going, what communicates the emotion the best? And what is that language coming back to me? And then trying to like clue into that, whether it's in the ether or the spirit world or just in your own fucking brain or like whatever wherever you think that creativity lies for me it feels like it hangs in the room like a cloud over me and i'm just trying to like pull it down you know um that's that's stephen pressfield uh you know war of art and he talks about the muse like he has an entire chapter dedicated to the muse and he he starts out where he's like i think it's an actual like literal thing he's like but i don't care what you think it is there is something there though like what 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 is your muse what is the thing that you're tapping into you know is it the ether is it the spirit world whatever but like 
where are you grabbing that thing from? And because it honestly, in creativity, it does seem like there's times where I write a song and I'm like, I feel like I didn't write this song. Like mm-hmm. there's something different about it. That um, you channeled it. You channeled it somehow. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it's just for me in that moment. Maybe it'll end up on a recording one day. But yeah, that's Did you like the book, The War of Art? I loved it. I, I go back to it. it a lot. Why? I hate it. What did it. you hate about it? I felt like for, as a creative, I felt like it was doing, it was not meant for, that book was not meant for me. What part? Or all entire, of it? The, the all whole of it. fucking book? The whole thing. <laughs> it was, it was gifted to me from a very close friend. He's like, oh man, I love this. You got to read it. And I was like, okay, cool. And I got three quarters of the way in and I just sat there and I was like, I fucking hate this. I don't want, I don't want to finish this at all. Um, I felt like that book was meant for people who would like to be creative or feel like they are creative, but not doing it to hmm. any sort of extent. Interesting. And for someone who lives it on a daily basis, I felt like there was nothing for me to glean from it at all, which is rare. Cause generally I can find like pearls something. and nuggets from something. And I just sat there and I was like, this is, I, I just, I feel like this is a lecture that I would have already walked out of, you know? So this is a moment of history right now for the Live and Create podcast because the most referenced person on my podcast says that he hates the most referenced book on my podcast. <laughs> Try to live in yeah, that paradox I, for a little bit. Yeah, there you go. No, I I love that book. There's things I don't agree with him on um, in his approach, but overall, I do love it. And maybe it's just he's so he's so focused on like the do the work concept, which is I'm, I'm very wired to like, like just fucking do it, like get it done, you know, block out this time, do that kind of piece. Um, and there's some, there's some things that I find very motivational in there, especially even the idea of like resistance where he talks about the things that try to get in the way of our creation. Um, one thing I don't, and I've talked about on the podcast too. One thing I don't enjoy about the book is he he talks about the concept of like networking and basically like what I would call community, and he says it's a waste of time. <laughs> yeah, and that's bullshit. And, and I think that's insane because that's bullshit. Yeah, it's straight like, up bullshit. Yeah, that part. I the only thing is I I could see there's some people who think they can just go hang out in the rooms, you know, and that's the work where like not necessarily like if you're not writing, if you're not creating, if you're not practicing, if you're not doing the time on that like there's some artists i think well we i say artists put air quotes around that like there's some people that think they can just network their way to success you know but on a whole really it's it's community and it's relationships that have given me every opportunity i've ever had so that's where one place i definitely disagree with him on and the muse stuff i don't i don't believe in like a metaphysical muse by any means but i do like the concept of like of being it's almost like a, a, tr- a trust or a responsibility that's given to you uh, yeah. from a creative standpoint, but that's interesting. You don't like it. No, I hate, I hated that book. Um, I'll, for, I'll forgive you though. I'll forgive that's you. That's okay. I, I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's horseshit. It, it, the most growth I ever had as both a writer and a producer, I was in a studio, the studio space underneath the optometry, where there's four other dudes, four other producers that were all making mm-hmm. music at the same time. And so 
the whole like iron sharpens iron, whatever, like we, I would hear stuff that they're doing and I'm like, God, that sounds fucking awesome. I have to get better. And likewise, right. they would come into my room and go, wow, that, that slaps. Like, what are you doing there? I'm like, oh, I'm doing this. They're like, okay, I'm going to, so a perfect example of that is like Joe, Joe Thibodeau used to be down in that basement with me. He does EDM pop stuff. Like that mm-hmm. is his jam. We could not be more different. And he, <laughs> he had reached out to me. He really loved how it's about the time that we were working on the run with it record, but he really loved how a lot of the vocals that I was cutting were sounding. He goes, what are you doing? And so I showed my, my presets in my Apollo. And I was like, here's why I use this mic pre. And then I run it into this compressor. And I also run it into this compressor, which is completely fucked up and it shouldn't work, but it does. I can't tell you why, <laughs> but it does. This works every single time. And he would, he heard it and he copied it and he started using, it. he's like, yeah, this doesn't make sense, but it's actually awesome. And then he went on to co-produce fancy like for Walker Hayes. Wow. And, and use that vocal chain on Walker. No and so it's shit. like, there, there's this like trickle out <laughs> thing where you just kind of go, I somehow am like responsible for this in like a less right. than 1% way. But like, that's a really cool thing of community and co-working that mm. just would never have happened. Could the oh, vocal yeah. have sounded as good doing something else? I'm sure it could, whatever. It doesn't really matter. That's just, it's my trick. And that right. was what happened, you know? Oh yeah. Um, well, and that's where I think that's one, that's one piece that I just disagree strongly. Um, and I, like I said, I do think there's probably some people who need to hear, um, you know, maybe you should work on actually songwriting instead of just trying to be in all the cool clubs and take pictures with people, you know, like <laughs> that kind of thing. But, but yeah, like some of the most beneficial things have come out of that. And honestly, like just being in that space, being in that basement, and I got to rub elbows with some of those producers as well. And those short times, like I grew, like every time I, I went out there, I'd come back home feeling like I need to get back there. Like I got better just by being there, you know, by osmos- <laughs> yeah, osmosis and just absorbing like, wow, here's five dudes going after it full speed mm-hmm. in a variety of different ways from Zach doing like instrumental music bed stuff to Joe doing EDM to me doing my like, Right. rock band and like organic stuff to ryan next door ryan just co-wrote and co-produced jimmy allen's new single that just dropped like there's a lot of stuff that came out of that basement of that era like it's pretty it's pretty crazy and um, some just po- i think there is a powerful life lesson too of like going in one of the studios like who wasn't someone who wasn't there to warm up i can't remember which one it was and they had like gold records or something like just yeah. stacked on a chair like with dust on them yeah. And I'm like, wow. Like, that's the thing <laughs> I'm trying to get. And he's like, ah, fuck, there's just those gold records over there. Like, he's still doing the work. And, and like, that I admired because I was like, even if you reach that echelon, it's just the next iteration. Because, like, I just want to keep creating. I want to keep doing the thing that I feel like I'm meant to do, you know? And Well, and it's yeah. dangerous, too, because then you run the line of the disease of more that nothing is good enough and that at every scale length, no matter well, where you're at. Well, I guess that's at, true. It could be, it could be like when yeah. I think you got to celebrate it, but I think it was a good lesson though. It's like, like, yeah, yeah. He's, he's like, I got those. And then meanwhile, he's like heating up a burrito in the, in the microwave one day and just shooting <laughs> the shit with me. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Awesome. absolutely. Well, Hey man, I, 
And one, podcast listeners, one, if you're with us this long, thank you. <laughs> and this is like, whenever we've gone to the studio, we'll start out like, just like catching up. And, uh, and I've always loved our conversations. Uh, Josh, I always am inspired by you, my man. And I learned a ton. Uh, but unfortunately, I got to land the plane. It's a snow day, so everybody's home, and they're trying to be quiet while I do my podcast. So they're probably <laughs> probably like, Jesus, Miguel, I want to make lunch like right now. But... <laughs> 90 minutes. I just want to have lunch, my guy. <laughs> but the last two questions, though. Uh, and so out of the live and create idea, first one, right now in your life, how would you define living a great life? Living a great life to me is being able to um, create, live and create. It's like, it's being able to be, to live and to create on a daily basis. All right. That's a wrap. Um, Let's yeah, Thanks. Thank you. And good night. It, it is getting to be creative for a career. Um, I get to wake up every day and do the thing that, most people dream of most people work their whole lives towards i've worked my whole life towards i've worked so fucking hard to get to this point where i get to wake up and just figure out what the next way of saying something or singing something is um and it's having the flexibility and the freedom to go experience more life to be able to write and do more things like that. So like New York city is reopening with all of the vaccine mandates, et cetera, not going to turn mm -hmm. this political. doesn't really matter, but that opens up a lot of opportunities to go visit my favorite city and to not feel like I'm, I'm just, Oh, I can't go into this, this place or, Oh, they, they, they're capped by only, they can only have 20 people in here and it's just wide open again. And, and New York can be that thing where you, stumble from bar to bar or museum to museum and just kind of live a much bigger experience right and so that's really exciting and I need more of that like that is that's what life is to me it's to have experiences and then to translate them uh into my art of some sort mm. that's awesome man yeah, I, I saw that too with uh, New York and because I was like, now we're getting back on the road, but it's still all locked down. <laughs> and, yeah, well, uh, I was like, New York, is such yeah. a bell, it's, New York is such a bellwether for everyone else. If they can open up stuff and feel reasonably safe to do so, then, then everyone else can. And that means we are much closer to feeling like pre uh, precedented times. <laughs> <laughs> precedented. And for the last question, my man, um, how would you define creating great things right now in your life? It is making things that do not betray how I feel and, and staying away, staying away from things that feel like they are not meant for me and pouring myself into the things that feel like they are meant for me. And really knowing where that line is. That's that's the whole thing for me. That's awesome, man. Well, let folks know how they can listen to your tracks or get a hold of you if you want people getting a hold of you. <laughs> Just leave me alone. Never find me. Um, on Instagram, I'm Joshua.Gleave, G-L-E-A-V-E. Uh, Twitter, I think it's at Josh Gleave. 
Twitter, the Twitter follow is the is the best part of me. Instagram is just boring. I play, I post like photos of me as a baby or in like and cool shoes and, and cool shoes, and that's about yeah. it. And food, food I'm making. Um, yeah, but you know, if you if you listen, reach out, shoot me a DM, do whatever. Um, thank you for indulging us talking we would have done this anyway regardless <laughs> if there was microphones or or a camera and we've been trying to do this for like i mean jesus like two years now we've been talking yeah. about hopping on here and <laughs> finally happened so yeah well thanks for making the time man i appreciate of course. it course and i'll cut it there man um thank you that was fun it was good yeah. uh to to connect again and some really cool thoughts on uh on songwriting that writing in reverse makes me hold on let me text my wife <laughs> tell them close is clear you can make make noise again yeah we it was yeah they canceled school and i was like fuck You're like of all Thursday. the days jesus christ <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it does make me excited for the next iteration of writing um in applying that as well especially with the venturing out and co-writing too so yeah it um man it, it has been the biggest the biggest shift because rather than just trying to craft something and feel good about it i'm trying to sit there in the crowd and go what do i want to what do i want to sing along with this artist like how do how do i want to feel what is this moment and what is the language of this idea you know and it starts with the idea it starts with like a clear understanding so when we wrote that god i'll send you the god bless this bar a little work tape that we did but um you know we talked about the character we i you know we mapped it i was like verse mm -hmm. one is about him it's about hey i don't got a lot going on so god bless, god bless this place because i ain't got shit and then <laughs> verse two was just about the bar itself and 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 i didn't we were very there, you know, my co-writers were throwing out a lot of like saints and sinners and church pews. And I was like, fuck all that shit. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to said God, we don't have to say all that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's God bless this bar in a way that's just reflective and be like, oh, thank God for you. You know, that's not churchy. Right. That's just, exactly. that's acknowledging that like you are, this is meaningful in some sort of way. Hmm. And, um, and so verse two, I was like, let's just talk about how shitty the bar is, like how it's kind of run down and it kind of sucks. <laughs> let's take the glamour out of it. Like, I don't want it to be a, a cool place. I just want it to be your place. I want it to be your place that feels like home for you. And so we mapped all of those ideas before we ever wrote a fucking word. Hmm. And that's sort of like, then you kind of, you understand the character, you understand why he's singing and who he's singing to and why and where he's at. He's sitting there at the bar. Like I'm envisioning the music video in the moment and going, mm -hmm. okay, the music video starts with him just drinking a beer by himself at a shitty fucking dive bar. And that's, that's it. And can we relate, how do we make language that relates to that? How do we write things that people go, that's me. Right. That's my, or that's my bar. Hey, they're describing mickey's place over on main street you know like exactly um and once you do all that you, you have such a clear view of what it's supposed to be that when you start singing whatever tumbles out is probably the right thing 
Right. And that some lines matter less than others, but the lines that matter the most really have to fucking matter, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah, it makes me think of just how I how I approach like the band from the business side, like where it's like kind of have this tentative skeleton or this map of where I want it to go. Like already working on like 2023 strategies as we, but what that does is it allows everything to call kind of fall in place and drives decisions. Like, Oh, it's like I committed to something that we were supposed to do, but then realizing in review, like, Oh, this doesn't fit the map. So I canceled it. I was like, we're not doing that because it's not what we're trying to build, you know? And so it makes me think if I may be applying that same concept, like you're talking about mapping, but down to the music as well. And I think and sometimes I just like more stream of consciousness, right? But that's where I meander a lot, you know? Yeah, because eventually, if you don't know the clear story, you're going to start to add pieces that are like, well, this doesn't really have anything to do with what's going on you know right that's what made i need a light such a gripping song it's like it was this very linear song mm-hmm. um it followed a path i felt like i was watching the character go through it and then the lyrics in the chorus just felt like someone who needed some hope or some sort of like whatever light meant to whoever was listening they needed that you know Mm -hmm. and that can mean a variety of things to a variety of people um but that's that's what like gripped me about that song and that's the thing to aim at right is like all of those things kept pointing back to the chorus and it kept going Mm -hmm. okay yeah i'm supporting this same idea over and over and over again right well, and that's something, one thing uh, Keelan Donovan and I have, been, have talked about where he's talked about like universal, but not general and mm-hmm. like trying to figure out how to fit songs into that idea. And he's like, some people just make it way too general. You don't want that. You want the specificity, specificity, whatever of, of yourself in it. But like you said, where. I need a light, which is funny because when I wrote it, it meant one thing to me. And now it means something else to me, even me sure. now as the actual performer. Right. And so, but in a sense, again, that's probably the power of the song too, is that then anyone else out there um, could connect on that level too, no matter where yeah. you're coming from. So, yeah, I mean, it, 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 and that is, that's sort of the benchmark to aim at is like, I always call it specifically unspecific specifically and specific i can actually say that one too so yeah. that's good um because you want furniture that feels real that isn't just so fucking vague that you're just like you've said nothing but yeah. also you want to hammer the emotion the emotion is the non-specific part you know that everyone has felt so how do i say something special that everyone has felt mm-hmm. and and that you know, that's, that's what you two crushed. Like, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. It's like, could be your car keys, could be meaning, could be a wife, could be a sense of purpose, right? And it will yep. shift as you do in your life. You know, mm-hmm. hearing that song at 12 
is for a sense of purpose. Hearing that song at 60 is I've lived a lot of life and it still hasn't mattered in the way that I thought it would. And those, there's a, those are drastically mm. ex- different experiences and the song remains the same for both. Right. No, that's and good, that's, man. that's the shit, you know, like that's, <laughs> that's, that's the real shit. That's when you go like, oh, fuck. Like that is, that's universal themes that you just can't, you can't fake that shit, you know? So I haven't true, climbed yeah. the highest mountains, but I st- I've done a bunch of things that are metaphors to those things, and exactly. I still haven't found what I'm looking for, you know? Right. No, I love that. That was so good. I might end up just leaving this part in the podcast, too. So <laughs> Good. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I love that. Well, dude, I, I got to bounce off, but man. Thank you for listening to the Live and Create podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe and leave a comment or a review. The Live and Create podcast.